Welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh Oh my God. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. The phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. (laughs) Without accountability and responsibility for your actions, people don't change. And unless they see the wrong, you're wasting your time with a narcissist. Alana Sharps, welcome. Oh my gosh, I did listen to you on another podcast, the one you were just recently on. Yep, Out of Crazy Town. Out of Crazy Town. Yes. That was actually a really good interview. Yes, thank you. A lot to unpack there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. What's interesting about your story is I actually met my husband online too. Oh, wow. Which site did you meet your husband on? So it was called love.aol.com. And it's actually not even available anymore. I know, crazy, right? It was like, so it was like AOL days. It was AOL days. Yeah, like forever ago. Was it like during the times of like AOL chat rooms? Yes, exactly during those times. Yes. (laughs) Wow. And yeah, so I want you to paint the picture of how you thought immediately this was the guy. He was everything that I was looking for in a man. Yes. And that's how narcissists come off, right? They listen to what you want and they adapt and become that person. So he was interested in the same music I was interested in. He was interested in the same movies. He was going to school for engineering, which is what I had my degree in. He had aspirations of being an entrepreneur. That's what I had aspirations to be. So he was checking off all of my boxes. And on top of that, you know, you do the whole love bombing thing. So he was very attentive. And I was like the first person he talked to every day. The last person he talked to at night, he talked to me all day long and he sent me flowers. He wrote me love poems every day, like just (laughs) all kinds of attention. Were you young when you met him? I was 26. So you were ready to meet someone, right? I was ready to meet someone. That's right. I feel like at that age, like the pressure is kind of on. The pressure is on. Totally different from now. Yes. Where I'm like, I already had my kids, already done the marriage thing. Like I can take it slow. I'm not looking for the same things I was looking for in my twenties. So yes, totally different experience. Yeah. Isn't it crazy what we look for then? Yes. Do you feel like you got snowed? Oh, big time. Because I found myself after we were married and I was locked in, he was a totally different person. So I constantly found myself trying to get back the guy that I met and fell in love with. And really that guy never existed. I did hear in the other interview too, that right before you got married, you saw a glimpse into that. I sure did. And I dismissed it because I'm like, okay, he apologized. You know, maybe he just got really upset for a minute, but this is not who he actually is. And boy, was I wrong. That was who he actually was. And he got worse as the marriage progressed. Did anybody else notice? 
No one noticed because it was all behind closed doors. So if you saw him out in public, especially with me, he was the perfect husband. He was the perfect father. He did everything he was supposed to do to give the impression that he was the best. How hard is that to be believed when it's not happening for others? So they are experts at putting on multiple faces. They have different faces for the different people that they are around. And no sooner than we got back in the vehicle to drive back home, he was that monster that my kids and I were used to. So he has gone from being this loving, caring, perfect father and husband in front of others to once we get him back into the car, he has an issue with everyone and he's screaming or yelling about something irrelevant. It was that quick. Yes. And it was constant. Also, I heard you bring up a couple of terms that I was unfamiliar with, like the scapegoat child and the golden golden child. Yes. Typical. This is typical of a narcissistic family. Yes. They subconsciously assign roles to the children. So they have a child that they consider their favorite, the golden child. And then they have a child I call the trash bin of blame, the scapegoat. So everything that's wrong in the narcissist's life, whether it be they had a bad day at work or they just feel wrong, you know, what have you, they blame that scapegoated child for everything. And they treat that scapegoated child horribly. The golden child can do no wrong. The golden child is perfect no matter what. They get put up on the pedestal. They get special treatment. The scapegoated child is like the bottom of your shoe. I also heard that that is part of why you eventually left. That is exactly right. When he physically assaulted my son, who was the scapegoated child, I said, okay, it's time to go. Had you been thinking about going before that? I had. I think I was up to time number seven by the time I actually left. Which I feel like from what I've read is common. It's very common because whenever you tell them you're leaving the relationship, they love bomb you all over again and suck you back in. So it's a continuous cycle. So if you think about the narcissistic abuse cycle, you go through an idealization phase. That's the love bombing. You go through devalue. That's when they start to put you down, demean you, call you names discard. This is where they found someone else and they want to get rid of you, or they're just tired of you and they want to get rid of you. And then they decide they want you back. So they hoover you back in and they start the love bombing all over again. So yes, it's a continuous cycle and he, they never change. They never change. Even with promises of changing, they never change. Have you talked to other women that have experienced the same thing? Yes. And we all have the same story. It's amazing. All these men just have different names. I mean, even down to the phrases that were used during gaslighting, exactly the same. Tell me what that looks like. It'll be like, oh, you're too emotional. I didn't mean that. I was just joking. I never said that. It's all your fault. I wouldn't treat you this way if you did this and that. What does that do to a woman's self-worth? It gets low. It lowers your self-esteem. It lowers your self-worth. You feel like everything is your fault because if you hear it so many times, you start to believe really, you know, maybe it is me. And then you start to change yourself. So I was constantly changing myself to adapt to him and he was never satisfied. 
never satisfied. What did that look like in the beginning? Like, how did it start? And then how did it get worse? Very subtle in the beginning. So I didn't even realize what was going on very early on because that's how subtle it was. So it started out with complaining about me going out with my friends. And the way he did it was, well, you're a mother and no mother should spend that much time away from their family. Now I would be gone for maybe two hours to have a lunch. But because during our dating phase, I said to him how important being a mother was to me and how important my kids were to me, he would use that against me to manipulate and control. So that's how he started out, isolating me from my friends and family. You shouldn't be away. You should be home with us because no good mother would be away from her family. She would be with her family all the time. That's not a whole lot of balance. (laughs) That's not a whole lot of balance at all. And then he wanted to be with me 24 seven, any kind of appointment. If I went to the grocery store, he wanted to be with me. Wow. How dare I want to be with someone else outside of him? Because he felt like I needed to be with him all the time. And if I wasn't, I was accused of cheating. How did you respond to that? So in the beginning, I just, I stopped, you know, I stopped seeing my friends. I cut. Yes. I stopped seeing everyone. I turned down lunches. I turned down anything that would take me away from my kids and him. So I just spent all of my time with him, my kids and his family, unless I was at work. How did his family treat you? His parents in the beginning did not like me at all. Well, I don't want to say they didn't like me because they didn't know me, but they were not happy with the fact that he was dating me because we are two different races. Hmm. And that was taboo for them and where they came from. Wow. That's a big challenge as well. Yes. How do they treat your children? They seem to love my kids when they met them. I mean, I can't say that they didn't love them. They didn't treat them very differently. I still felt like his mother still had a problem with me just based on the things that she used to say about me to other people Mm. when we were married and even after we got divorced, but I never saw her disrespect or treat my kids badly in any way. Well, that's good. Yes. Oh my gosh. I feel like there are a lot of women in this situation. Oh, yes. That either don't realize they're in the situation or they're fearful to talk about the situation because they don't know what would happen. You're always scared of the consequences. So, you know, if I went against my ex-husband in any way, if I didn't do what he said he wanted or he felt he was entitled to, he raged at me. It was very scary because you never knew when he could be physically violent. Plus, he had been physically violent with your child. Yes. Were you ever worried about your safety? I was not worried about my safety until I actually saw it happen to my son. And then I was like, okay, like this is a whole nother level. And then I was terrified to close my eyes at night because I just didn't know what he would do. Right. I heard you say that there were months that you didn't sleep. That's right. A month and a half from the time I said I was leaving him till the time I was able to actually move out. It was a month and a half and I did not sleep. I did not. I was scared. I was terrified of what really what he would do. I had no idea what he would do to me because he was harassing me every day of the week up until I moved out. Did he want to get divorced? He did not. Wow. 
Like, did you ever like doubt doing it? I'm sure you did because you were a mom and you didn't want to break up your family. Correct. Correct. That's why it took seven times. Right. And then people will get in your head and they say, oh, you can't get divorced because what about the kids? You're going to destroy the kids. And that was something that he threw at me a lot as well. So I would always change my mind. But when he started hurting the kids physically, it's like, okay, my kids are better off not being in this home. Do you think that they are better off now? Oh, much better, much better. Oh my gosh. We were a brand new family once I got my own place. My kids opened up more. We spent more time together because once they became teenagers, they started retreating to their rooms. They didn't want to be around the chaos. So we were splitting up more as a family and not doing family time because my kids didn't want to be bothered with him. But once I got my own place, oh, we spent all kinds of time together and we actually communicated and talked about things. We talked about what happened in the home. I found out a lot of things that happened to them that I had no idea about. So it was very, I can, I found out that the first time I saw my ex assault, my son was not the first time for him. He had been physically abused since the time he was like six or seven years old. And I had no idea. I knew nothing about it. Yep. Yes. Oh my God. How, how did you respond to that? I felt horrible. I felt so guilty for not knowing. And then I felt guilty for not leaving sooner because I subjected my child to that for so many years. That must've been really hard as a mom. Really hard as a mom. Oh my God. Well, I also am really curious about your support system through actually leaving because You've got to have support in doing that. Like what were the steps you took to get out? So I had really good friends, the same friends. Once I started opening up and telling them what was going on in relationship, tried to get me out, but I just, I couldn't pull myself out. (laughs) So when I finally said I was ready, they helped me walk through the steps. So I had a girlfriend that helped me research apartments and she talked me through, okay, this is what you need. This is what you don't need. Cause I'm like, you know, I need a big place. I got three kids. I got to make sure everybody has adequate space. And she was like, you don't need all that. You just need to get out and find a safe place to live. I had a girlfriend that lived five minutes away. She said, Alana, start stashing away toilet paper, paper towels, all your essentials and leaving them at my house. She said, bring a safe to my house, stash cash there. Yes. She said, start building your stockpile at my house. Hell yeah. What an awesome girlfriend. (laughs) That is smart. Yes. Yes. She gave me all kinds of tips that I, I wouldn't have thought of on my own. She was awesome. So by the time I actually moved into my apartment, I already had like the essentials already set up. I just have to get furniture. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Start photocopying important documents. Like, yes. Like I had a whole game plan going on. Yeah. I mean, you can't be rash. That's right. You can't. You got to get smart and just as manipulative as them. Yes. You have to get strategic, very strategic. And that's what I did. Wow. Is there anything that you would have done differently or is there anything that you wish you would have done? Yes. I wish that I would have paid attention to the signs sooner, which is why I talk about this so much because no one talks about it. So I didn't realize what I was going through 
because no one talks about it. I just thought it was normal. I thought it was a normal relationship and I just couldn't handle it. So I, I wish I recognized the red flags. I wish I would have left sooner. So all those seven times I said I had enough and I'm ready to go. I wish I actually would have left instead of waiting till the seventh time. Wow. And I wish I would have paid more attention to my kids and how they were reacting because looking back, there were signs like my oldest, he was having difficulty in school. He was talking back to his teachers. All of that was a result of the abuse that he was experiencing in the home, but I didn't realize it at the time. What made you want to tell your story? To educate and for people to recognize the signs, for friends and family to recognize the signs in their loved ones and to be that support person. I also want people that have currently left an abusive relationship and they're in a divorce and child custody battle going through post-separation abuse to understand what post-separation abuse is and how to handle it because the abuse does not stop when you leave. In a way, it sort of ramps up. There's this thing called domestic violence by proxy. It's when the abuser starts going after the kids because they can no longer go after you. A lot of people don't know that, but yes, they start to use their children as pawns once you are going through the divorce and child custody process. So this is education that needs to be out there. And that's why I educate through my story and what I did to help someone else currently in the situation. That's amazing of you and very brave. Thank you. Did you experience that after abuse situation that you're talking about? Separation abuse. Oh, yes. Yep. Domestic violence by proxy. Yes. My youngest son and my daughter, he was using both of them as pawns. Isolation. He started smear campaigns against me. So he was disparaging my character to family and friends. He was actually asking people to write affidavits against me so that it would help his child custody case. Harassment was another one. Legal abuse. He was filing numerous motions against me to help his child custody case. Financial abuse. He was refusing to pay for certain things for my daughter's activities because it's a control thing. For a narcissist, it's all about controlling and winning and manipulating. What was court like? We actually did not go to court. We settled out of court two weeks before our court date. And he actually asked to settle with me. He approached me and asked to settle. Did that feel like a win? Yes, it did. (laughs) It felt like the win. I take that back. It felt like the win at the time. But because I knew the type of person he was, I still didn't feel like I won once I got home from my lawyer's office that night. I did not sleep the entire night because I felt like he was still going to come after me, even though we had a signed court order agreement. I was like, he's not going to stop because that was his history, right? To continuously come after me for something. So I felt even though I had a signed court order, okay, he's going to come after me for something else. And that bothered me for a week after we had settled our child custody agreement. Is that typical too with other women that you've spoken to? Yes. So you're constantly in fight and flight when you're in the relationship. And that does not go away for a long time because your brain is already trained to be that way. So that's what I was experiencing after we settled out of court with the agreement was I was still in fight or flight. Like, okay, he's still going to come after me. You know, I'm having all these intrusive thoughts. Like I got to be on, on my, on guard. I got to be prepared. 
that's what I was thinking about for the next week. How were you able to heal? I saw a trauma therapist and I did something called EMDR therapy, which helps you with those flight or flight symptoms. And that helped me tremendously. So I'm not as easily triggered anymore as I was before, because before I could just see him and I would just start sweating and breathing really hard and not able going into a panic attack just by seeing him visually. So it helped to calm down a lot of those triggers to now I can see him not be affected, but I do still have triggers. It doesn't take all of your triggers away. And it could be something as simple as a phrase that he used to say to me. And you're not even saying it in a disparaging way. But if I hear that phrase, I'm like, I'm instantly going back to a time where he was verbally abusing me. It's, it's hard to explain, but it's like the weirdest thing ever and the worst thing to go through at the same time. But yes, Yeah. That's how much your brain changes when you've gone through an abusive situation. Wow. When you meet other men like that, I see the red flags. Yeah. Like how does that work? So actually the very first person I started to date and I didn't date for two years after I got the signed child custody agreement and the guy seemed, he seemed now, quote unquote, normal at first, <laughs> but over time, as I got to know him more, I saw the red flags. I saw the red flags. And then he started talking down to me and I said, oh no, this is over. And I ended it immediately because I refused to go through that type of relationship again. How hard is it to date when you have kids? Very hard to date. Very hard to date. So my kids are older now. My oldest is 22. My daughter's 18 and my youngest is 13. And I wasn't really looking for someone to like date, date. I just wanted to get back out there because again, like I said, I waited two years. So I wanted to go out and spend time with someone. So I don't let people meet my kids. (laughs) Like I keep that relationship with my kids very sacred unless I feel comfortable with you. And I did meet someone that I felt very comfortable with who's a great family guy. He has three kids of his own. So I felt comfortable introducing him to my kids, but man, I grilled him for like two weeks. I asked him like 200 questions. (laughs) What did you ask him? (laughs) Yeah. Like sit down and just go through a few things. (laughs) I asked him, can you explain a situation where you became angry? And what did that look like? Hell yeah, date one. Let's get this yes. out there. Yes. I love that. But you know what? Hey, if he can handle that, then you know you're working with somebody good. That's exactly right. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I got to know. And I wouldn't tell him how I would answer the questions because I didn't want him to mirror what I was saying. So I'm just like, okay, I just need you to answer this. And then I'll tell you, you know, how I would respond to the same question. It's like, yeah, what's your relationship like with your mom and dad? (laughs) But yes, literally like 200 questions for like our first two weeks of dating, because I felt like if he didn't answer those questions, right, I was cutting him off. Like it wouldn't be worth my time. So I just went ahead and got everything out the way early. He enjoyed the questions. I think because it showed that I was on my P's and Q's and I was definitely interested. Like I really wanted to get to know him better. All aspects of his life. Yeah, so I think it intrigued him. (laughs) 
That sounds like a thorough investigation. Yes, it literally was an investigation. That's what I was doing. Okay, now I want to know, have you incorporated those 200 questions into the book that you wrote? I did not. I probably Aww. should have. I know. I know. I, I feel have. like these questions might be good for other women. You're right. They really would. Maybe I'll do a report and put it online as a free report. I was going to yeah. say, like, maybe that's how you grow your email list. Oh my God. That is so funny. Like, <laughs> that's amazing. Tell me about the process of writing your book. So the book started out as therapeutic journals. When I, it actually started the first night I was in my apartment. I just had so much in my head. I had to get out. I just started writing and I started from the day that we met and I just told the entire story all the way up to the day that I left. And it just so happened that he continued to abuse me after I left. I wasn't expecting it. I didn't know anything about post-separation abuse, but it just so happened that he continued to help me write the story even after I left. <laughs> How perfect. How perfect. I mean, it literally, the book literally goes up to, I think like 2020, like my experience up to 2020. Oh my God. Did you send him a copy? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> Does he know that you have a book? I would think he does by now because I posted on social media that I wrote one. So I, I think he's aware. Wow. What is your relationship like with his family now? I do not talk to them at all. And my older two kids do not talk to them at all either because the family continued to try to get them to have a relationship with their father that they did not want. So they just don't talk to anybody on that side at all. Yeah. So I feel like that would be hard for a lot of women to be okay with. Mm -hmm. How have you become okay with that? For me, I knew that I personally needed to cut them off for my own mental health. And so I made that decision because they tended to make a lot of excuses for my ex's behavior. So it wasn't healthy for me. For my kids, I let them make that decision on their own. So they actually did spend time with the family after I left, but the family continued to pressure them to a point that they did not feel comfortable with. So they decided to cut off all communication. Wow. How has this helped you grow as a person and become a better mother? I have learned to love myself because when I went into that relationship, I had low self-esteem, you know, low confidence. So that's how it was very easy for him to come in and show me all this love and attention. And I ate it up. He fed into that. So I've grown to love myself more. I do a lot of self-care. <laughs> I build myself up more and I am more encouraging of my kids. So I'm always telling them they can do anything that they put their mind to and that they're great people because I don't think that they, I heard it enough as a kid. I didn't hear it at all, actually. So I try to be very encouraging for my kids because I think that that helps build your self-confidence. What was your childhood like? So my mother, and I love her to death, I'm sorry, mom, but my mother has narcissistic traits. So she was very critical of me as a child, and she would say things to me that were very hurtful. And so because of that, 
I had low self-esteem and I didn't think that I was good enough. And I was scared to try things because I didn't think that I would be good at them. And I felt like she would be critical of me if I wasn't good at them. And so that just, you know, continued on into adulthood. So that's why it's so important that we treat our children with love and respect when they're little, because all, a lot of the issues that we have as adults stem from our childhood. What was your relationship like with your dad? My dad, we were kind of distant. I didn't feel like either one of my parents really loved me growing up. I mean, I know that's weird to say, but it was a word that wasn't said in the home. So I didn't know if my dad liked me or if he loved me a lot because he didn't really show that kind of attention to me. We have a great relationship now and he communicates more, but during those formative years, that's how I felt. And so again, that's something else that I carried on into adulthood. Well, that's amazing that you've been able to work past that with him. Yes. How did you address that? We actually started talking more once I was an adult. I'm actually able to go and talk to him about more things than my mom. <laughs> like Me I actually too. go, yeah, I, I will go to him for advice. <laughs> Has yeah. he given you any good daddy advice? He has given me some good daddy advice. You know, I ask him different things about guys and, you know, daddy, what do you think about this? I ask him about my car, things to fix around the house. Yeah. All kinds of things. That's great. Yes. Yeah. It's nice to just call. Like I talked to him tonight. Like we just have a conversation. Yeah. I was like, I'm just calling to chat. See how you are. See how you're feeling. You know, we just talk about different things. What's going on in the world? What's going on in the family? You know, just converse, regular everyday conversation. That's wonderful. Yes. That's really great. I'm glad. I'm so happy to hear that. I feel like girls really need that. Yes, I agree. Did you have any grandparents? My grandparents on my father's side were a lot older, so I wasn't mm. very close with them. I was very close with my mother's father, my grandfather, and then he passed away when I was in my early 20s. Would you say that your parents' relationship at all played into yours? It actually did not. I, I, my parents have a great relationship, a very respectful relationship, but I thought that they were an anomaly. Like I, yeah, I just didn't think that everybody's marriage was like that. And that's why I put up with so much in my marriage. I thought that my marriage was the typical marriage and my parents' marriage was an anomaly. Isn't that weird? Yeah. That's interesting. (laughs) Have your children talked to you at all about relationships? Yes. So my daughter does not want to have a boyfriend or get married or have kids. (laughs) I didn't want to at that age either though. Yes. And my oldest son, you know, he's had a couple of girlfriends, but no serious relationship. So, I mean, he's perfectly fine being on his own. I mean, they're young still. You have a little bit of a split though. So you were with this guy for a long time. How long were you with him? 16 years. Wow. Yeah. 16 long years. Feels like a lifetime. And when I left, I felt like I had waken up from a coma. That's how much I disassociated in my marriage just to protect my own mind. Yeah. I cannot imagine the fog that you must have felt like you were freaking in. Yes. When the fog lifted, I'm like, oh my God, what did I go through? 
And you know what? I think everyone needs to do that. You can't jump right into another relationship because you have to fix you. Like you've been through a terrible experience that you need to heal from. And that starts with self-care. You have to start with you. It's so important. I neglected myself the entire 16 years of my marriage. And it showed, it showed in my mental abilities and physically I was starting to have ailments and it was all related to stress, the stress of the marriage. I can't believe it now because you seem so put together. So tell me some things you did that were helpful. So I started exercising the latter years of the marriage because my doctor told me you have to relieve this stress somehow. So I started attending exercise classes, but I'm still getting that in the house. So it wasn't really helping, but I was trying (laughs) after I left the relationship, I continued to do that. I started doing yoga. I started eating healthy, getting my vitamins in, making sure that I was taking care of my inner body because your body is your temple started walking. It's very relaxing for me to walk. Even now, if I feel like I'm getting stressed with work, I will go take a walk and I'll feel hundred percent better. I started reading more. So I read a lot of narcissism books, a lot of books on self-care. What did you learn in those books? The narcissistic abuse cycle that I talked about earlier. And in my book, I actually take you through that cycle with me chapter by chapter. I'm like, okay, this is where we are in the cycle. I learned a lot about gaslighting and what it looks like. Tell me, tell me what that looks like. Gaslighting is also known as crazy making because you literally feel like you're crazy when you're going through it. So it could be something as simple as the sky is blue. You know that the sky is blue, but the narcissist is going to tell you the sky is green. And you're like, no, the sky is blue. And he's like, no, the sky is green. Can't you see? Are you stupid? The sky is green. And you're looking and you see blue but he's telling you you're stupid because you see green. So then you start to question like you're hearing (laughs) your own like mental capacity, your own thoughts, like, well, maybe it is green and I'm just the crazy one. Or you clearly remember something the narcissist said, like they told you they were going to go to the store and pick up bread, for example. And he doesn't go to the store and pick up bread. So you say to him the next day, well, why didn't you? I thought you were going to pick up bread. I never said that. I never told you I was going to go to the store and pick up bread. Yes, you did. So it's stuff like that. Crazy making. They deny what they said, even though clearly you remember something that they said. It could be as as long as five minutes ago. And they'll say, I never said that. So reading these books kind of gave you the terminology to understand that. What I went through. Correct. Yes. I didn't know I had a name for it. I didn't know that the sleep deprivation was a tactic. Because when you're sleep deprived, you know, you're more easily manipulated. I didn't know that was, that was something I experienced my entire marriage was sleep deprivation. So I was never actually well rested the entire time. Well, that'll make anyone insane. Exactly. I mean, my first night in my apartment, like I felt like I had the best sleep ever. I was so well rested. I woke up the next day and I'm like, Hey, how am I going to start my day today? (laughs) I never felt like that in my marriage. So it was an adjustment, but I I never regret my decision to leave. It was the best decision in the world. I wish I had done it sooner. Yes, it's been hard at times being a single mom, but completely worth it considering my freedom and the mental health of myself and my children. Wow. Well, I'm so happy to hear that. 
I think a lot of women need to hear that. I think they do too. I think a lot of women feel trapped. I had every excuse in the world as to why I could not leave my husband. I didn't have enough money. I had too much debt. You know, it's me. He said he's going to change. So I'm going to wait for him to change every excuse. And I think that a lot of women do because you're fearful of change. You're trauma bonded to your abuser, very similar to Stockholm syndrome. You can't mentally pull yourself out and you don't realize a lot of times that you're actually being abused, which is something I didn't realize when I was in it. Can I ask you something personal? Like, did you ever feel like obligated to have sex? Oh, most definitely. He made me feel obligated. It's actually called sexual coercion. He said, well, you're my wife. That's your job. Yeah. Very entitled. I mean, freaking how horrible is that? Yes. And it didn't matter if I was sick, like deathly sick, because there were times like that where I was just so ill with a fever and everything. He didn't care. Oh, it's awful. Well, I hope that you never have to experience that again. Oh, never again. Will I let that happen? Let's talk about what's next on the horizon for you. Next on the horizon for me is doing speaking engagements. So I want to go around to different women's groups, talk to some teen groups and just highlight what I went through, the different types of abuse that I went through and help to show the signs and symptoms to others. I talked to one teen group and they didn't realize a lot of things that I experienced were, was actually abuse. I'm like, yes, this is actually a type of abuse. If you go to the domestic violence hotline website, it will lay it out for you with all the signs and symptoms. So no, this is not normal. If your boyfriend is treating you like this, it's not normal. This is abuse. Yeah. Maybe I should drop that link into the show notes. Yes. Most definitely. Yes. It's very educational, especially for teenagers. When you started reading information on that site, what was like, oh no, that's me. I was like, oh my gosh. Like I knew I had gone through, I'd already read that I had gone through emotional and verbal, but to start reading like the sexual abuse, the sexual coercion, the digital abuse, I experienced all of that as well. I feel like this is so scary as a mother of a daughter I actually heard a story on NPR today about a girl in Charlotte who was in a relationship with a guy. He said he was like suicidal. They had broken up and and to come meet up with him. He then raped her. Yes. And she was completely disbelieved. She was correct. Yes. Because they were in a relationship that he couldn't rape her. Yes. I know it's sad, sad, but true. Yes. It's always on the victim to prove facts about what happened to them. Yeah. It's crazy. Even in the family court system, you're a victim, but you have to come in and like prove your case, prove that you were abused. Well, what exactly did he do? Women come to me with those issues all the time for my business. Yes. How demoralizing is that? Very demoralizing. And it's like, how can they trust the systems in place when they are being treated that way? That's right. They're being further abused by the family court system after being abused by their husband, soon to be ex-husband. Yes. It's a terrible cycle. How do you help those women? I help them try to build their case. So we start documenting the instances of abuse. I tell them, Go back as far as your memory will take you and start writing down those incidents. 
if you have any video recordings, if you have emails, if you have text messages, all of that is evidence. And we start to catalog it. We start to talk about if the children were present because that goes a long way in family court. The court might not care what he did to you, but he cares about what he did to you in front of those children. That gives me the chills, actually. What else is really hard about that, though, is involving the children in testifying. What does that do for them? And does that have to happen? Exactly. Exactly. And I actually had to go through that myself. I was prepared to put my son on the stand if I needed to, but I didn't want to put him on the stand because it's re-traumatizing for him. He hated talking about what happened to him in those early years. And he already had to tell it to my lawyer and he didn't want to do it. And so to have to put him on the stand to protect his younger sister and brother, like it was hard for me if I had to go that route. I'm glad that you didn't have to. Have you seen that happen though? I have seen that happen. And sometimes it really depends on the judge in your state. Because sometimes they'll just let the kids talk to the judge one-on-one and sometimes they'll put the kids on the stand. So it just really depends on your judge and your state. That's actually good to know though. Mm -hmm. Have you, now that you're doing this work, had some like big wins where you're like, I know I was meant to help women like me. Yes. I have been very successful at building up women's self-confidence which is, man, it's a win for me considering I told you I've always had low self-confidence. So I'm training these women on how to build their confidence up to where they go into that courtroom and they are armed with their evidence. They know where to find it in their binders because they take binders in with them to the courtroom and they are able to flip through their binder and tell their case. They tell the history of the abuse and why they are fearful of their ex-husband and why that ex does not deserve to have whatever custody arrangement that they are discussing for their case. No woman should ever stay in a violent situation. And I'm talking about emotional and mental violence. No, it's so impactful to you. You don't realize how impactful it is to you long-term until you're actually out of the relationship. Like I didn't feel like mentally I was impacted in any way when I was in it. I knew that he was mean and it made me feel bad, but I didn't realize how much my brain had changed because of the abuse. Your brain actually rewires to protect itself in abusive situations. So you don't ever think that it could be worked out even with therapy or? With a narcissist, no, just because they don't change. If you're in a relationship with someone that actually recognizes that they're doing something wrong and they agree to therapy and you can actually see the signs that they're changing, that's different because there are people out there like that. But because narcissistic personality disorder is a personality disorder, how it was explained to me by my therapist is they're incapable of changing. Did your ex ever recognize that he was in the wrong? No, no accountability zero accountability, zero empathy. Everything was my fault. Everything was my son's fault. my son's fault, the scapegoat. I mean, even though he didn't want to get divorced. Correct. Now, when I told him I wanted to leave, one of the first things he said to me was, you're going to devastate the children. I turned down all, yeah, you're going to devastate the children. I turned down all those other women to be with you. These were his first reactions. And because I didn't take the bait for either of those, he called me a selfish bitch. Okay. So he tried everything 
to try to get me to change my mind to stay with him. It doesn't even add up. Like you're putting me down, you're calling me names and you're trying to convince me to stay with you. Stay with you. Why are you listening to what you're saying to me? Wow. What gets women over the hump of saying enough? What happens when somebody contacts you and and they tell you these things that you recognize, like they are saying the language that you are saying? Yes. So typically by the time they get to me, they've already left the relationship. I've had one woman who was still living with her husband at the time, but she was, she was on the verge of getting out. She just had not left the home because they didn't have a separation agreement in place on how to split the kids up, how to do visitation. So she didn't want to leave the home until she had that in place. But yeah, typically when they get to me, they have already left the relationship. They're still settling in their mind what they went through. They know they went through something bad, just like I did, but they didn't realize they were dealing with a narcissist until they actually got out and started reading. So who do they go to before they go to you? Books, Google. But it can be hard to navigate. It's hard to navigate. Yeah. There's I actually so saw, much information. Like there's so much information. So I actually saw a meme today. It said, if you start Googling, why does my boyfriend act like this? That's a red flag. <laughs> I love yes. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They start Googling. Like, why does he treat me this way? Am I being abused? Was it my fault? Those are all big terms in Google. Which is the name of your book. Which is the name of my book. That's exactly right. Because we are always questioning, was it my fault? Because that's what they say. It's your fault. It's your fault. I'm doing this to you. Well, I have loved this conversation. I loved connecting with you. Please stay in touch. Please promote away. Thank you for having me on. This is fun. So my book is called, Was It My Fault? And it's available on Amazon. Just search, Was It My Fault? Author Alana Sharps. I'm on all the social media channels under Sir Thrive Tribe. And that is part of the word survivor, part of the word thrive. I just took the two and mushed them together. (laughs) And you can also find me on Instagram under Alana Sharps. Perfect. All right. Well, I look forward to hearing what my daddy has to say. And I look forward to you being in my tribe and like connecting with you more. Yes, definitely. Let's connect again. Yes, for sure. Now let's switch it over to grandpa. Alana, you had to learn the hard way that life is a bowl of cherries, but you got to watch out for the pit. The fact is, is that it's just unbelievable to me. It's because we've seen this now in various forms where certain men and even certain women, the way they build up their own confidence or character in their minds is by oppressing someone else. That makes them feel better. For somebody to blame a child or a wife or a husband where they don't do anything wrong and whatever happens to them is always somebody else's fault does put someone down and makes them feel better or not as vulnerable. As you know, I've told you the story about how sweet and nice even these people that take advantage of children that are just pedophiles, where they make these young girls or young boys think that they're being extra love and get extra attention and where they're afraid to even speak out because they have them in a trance. And the way they've done that is by getting them to recognize whatever that person says as being not only the truth, but their truths are negated because whatever they say, they say never happens or is completely a farce or not real. 
So uh, it's a real twisted mentality. The sad part is that your husband showed you his real self before the marriage, and you dismissed it because of all the flowers and all the communication, and you were ready and yearning for a relationship. And once you get sucked in, sometimes it's not easy to be able to catch yourself from even falling or seeing the truth. And what you're doing now has not only tremendous merit to it, but what you're trying to do is not only build your awareness and self-confidence, and now that you've achieved a turnaround in your life, to share that turnaround and help others turn around their lives is quite noble. And maybe this type of experience that you've gone through has given you the key to helping a lot of other people. And I wish you nothing but success with your podcast and with your book, because this is an ongoing problem of domination by certain people where they abuse other people for their own gain. And it's really a terrible way to go through life, having to blame everybody around you for your own shortcomings. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 